For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so great a risk of death, and He will deliver us. We have set our hope on Him that He will deliver us yet again, as you also join in helping us by prayer, so that many people may give thanks to God on our behalf for the gracious gift given to us through the help of many. This is God's Word. Please be seated. Before we look at 2 Corinthians, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we pray that we will honor you and reverence you with the honor, with the reverence that you are due that you might be glorified. Father, we are thankful for your many and very great promises to us. Father, we ask that you keep us safe from the evil one and the ways that he would try to tear down and destroy. Father, we pray that your will be done and that your will be done in our lives. We pray, Father, that you will be honored and served by your people at this place. And Lord, when we pass through difficult times, we pray that you will strengthen according to your promises, that you'll provide what is needed. And Lord, help us to be tools that can comfort other people, not only here, but can comfort those within San Antonio with what you provide as we point people toward you. Father, we acknowledge that we need you every step of the way. We pray all this through your Son's name. Amen. On Sunday morning, we are studying Abraham, a man of faith, but a man who at times would lapse into fear. If each of us were to depict our lives right now, if you were to paint a mural that would describe and reveal what your life looks like, what would, it, what would be the themes in it? How might that mur mural relate to the themes of faith or fear? How might it reflect hopelessness or peacefulness? Would we create a picture of someone standing on top of the world? That our life right now is we're on top of the world and, and like, uh, like the Carpenter song from the 70s, I'm on top of the world. Or might it look more like shadowy valley filled with oppressive rocks and crags? 
you know, in our church family, I would expect that some of us are enjoying a season of just about everything going our way. And it's wonderful. And I would also suspect that in our church family, there are others who are painfully aware of being trapped and weighed down. And there are so many different reasons why life can become rough and why fear might threaten faith. And if the message of Scripture and if the lessons we learn from looking at the lives of other people and if the experiences we have of our own life teach us anything, then what we learn is that at one point or another, everyone faces difficult times. Now, it's easy to chart our way through good times. That's not impressive at all. But what does God do for the difficult times? How can God be at work through the difficult times in nurturing faith's growth? Paul, in his second letter, what we call the second letter to the Corinthians, that letter can prepare us to encounter difficult days. Although the the details of the situation he faced are, are different than the sorts of situations we might face, when Paul wrote about being downcast, it seems like he might have walked in our shoes at one point or another. And if we're feeling hard pressed by life circumstances, then the letter of 2 Corinthians has a message for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's going to recount an earlier time of difficulty. Verse 5, when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all, but we were troubled in every way. That phrase, we were troubled in every way. He's describing a life that's been pushed to the edge, pushed to the brink. It, it, it's the type of situation where you've, you've been pushed as far as you think you can go, and then it's a little bit further. Remember what happened on his second missionary journey as he went into Macedonia? He goes into Philippi, and it's not too long after entering Philippi that he's going to cast out the demon from the girl. He gets beaten severely, thrown into prison. Before the wounds, before the bruises can heal, He's let out of that prison and encouraged to leave Philippi, and he does. And he goes on to Thessalonica, the next stop. And in Thessalonica, he goes into the synagogue, and here comes a man to the synagogue who's still showing bruises. He is the victim of a brutal beating, and he walks into the synagogue, and he begins to talk about Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God the one who died and was raised again. And it's not long in Thessalonica before there's a mob that's pursuing him. They can't find him, but they're so frustrated. They go to Jason's house and they take it out on other people, but they really want to get their hands on Paul. And once again, he leaves quickly out of the city. When life seems to be crumbling down around us, perhaps one of the first questions that can arise is, you know, how much more of this can I take? And then if relief doesn't come very quickly, the question becomes, or maybe it's a statement, I just can't keep on going. Can I? 
what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He captures the complete breakdown of his situation at that time. He says, we were troubled in every way. Struggles from the outside, fears from within. It wasn't just that there are people on the outside who were attacking Paul, but he's dealing with things in his own head. He's dealing with the fears and battling what if. What if? How can? Where? Some of the most painful experiences we can encounter are not those that are physical, but those fears from within. And Paul here in chapter 7, he's talking about an event in, in Macedonia, and he says, I encountered fears, and he, he's speaking about that situation. But, but you know what? As Paul writes this letter, he's encountered new fears within. In fact, that's one of the reasons why he's writing 2 Corinthians He's writing it because he's carrying a very heavy burden that the cherished relationship that he has with the church at Corinth is, is under attack. It's threatened. And, and can this be brought back? There is fear that this relationship with God's people is being strained and pulled apart. And what's happened is there's people that have gone into Corinth after he's left. And they've begun to sow seeds of doubt. They begun, begin to, to teach things that are driving a wedge between the ministry that God has given Paul and all that God entrusted Paul to do and to be. And they're driving a wedge between that and the church. And some have begun to doubt Paul, step back from Paul, separate themselves. And so as Paul writes this letter, he's defending his ministry. He's trying to restore the warm relationship that he and that church had once enjoyed. Listen to, listen to these words. I imagine the heart that it takes to write these sorts of words to someone you care about. 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 6 and verse 3. We do not give anyone an occasion for taking an offense in anything so that no fault may be found with our ministry. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide to you. Our affection for you is not restricted, but you are restricted in your affections for us. Now as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts to us also. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have ruined no one. We have exploited no one. Can you hear Paul's frustration and pain in these words? As he tries to just recount what they have experienced and seen and what they have known of him and his ministry. And yet now they, are, they have been pulled far from him. You know, as Paul's thinking about this, is this church going to lose its moorings? Is it going to drift away, drift away from the ministry that, that God has given me and that I've done and worked among them? Are they going to be won over to these other voices that would drive that wedge? 
Some of the most painful experiences that a person can face can be those fears from within. You know, there's many different sources that can lead us into dark valleys. Dark valleys where a person can be hemmed in by the circumstances, circumstances beyond one's control. When we know we can't control these things, that makes their reality just that much more prevalent. Someone suffers loss through an unexpected illness or accident. A young person feels the crushing weight of of having done something horribly wrong, but now not only does he or she feel the weight of that guilt, but suddenly the consequences of what was done have begun to come in on life, and, and it's putting life into a tailspin as unemployment lingers on. A family senses a growing, a gnawing fear creep into their lives. A couple shares heartache as they watch their child grow up into a young person making destructive choices and decisions. Opening the bills, there's the realization that in spite of trying to be good managers, the outflow is greater than the inflow. A husband or a wife becomes aware that the marriage is threatened. And then there are spiritual concerns that can weigh heavily. Paul was concerned about the health and the growth of God's people. And as he looked at the Corinthian spiritual growth, the outlook is, it's tentative. Where is this church headed? Well, if we find ourselves walking through a dark valley, what can we do? Where can we find help? As mentioned earlier, this letter, 2 Corinthians can prepare us to encounter difficult days. Paul described a help and a strength that enabled him to pass through troubling times to emerge on the other side of it. And although when he had entered Macedonia, he felt trouble from every side, and there was attacks from without and fears within, he's going to emerge from there. He's going to emerge from that trial to be able to proclaim, my joy was greater than ever. He came out of Macedonia with, my joy was greater than ever. God brought him through. And that's the reason. The reason for the transformation was God who encourages the downhearted encouraged us. Paul admits he had fears to face within. But God, who encourages the downhearted, brought relief. You see, God has not only created this world, but we know this. God continues to be at work in it. And he's answering prayers. He's overcoming evil with good. He's healing the wounded. He's achieving his will and his purpose. In fact, Paul began this letter by claiming that God can provide us what we need when facing the trouble in our lives. 2 Corinthians, now the first chapter, beginning verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. 
Repeatedly, the New Testament writers will announce that God can deliver and strengthen us through difficult times. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11, God will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. 2 Timothy 4, 17, the Lord gave me strength. The Lord will rescue me from every attack. 2 Peter 2, 9, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Philippians 4, 19, God will meet all of your needs. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, his power that is at work within us. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15, if, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have what we asked of him. As for how God pl- helped Paul and how this played out for him in Macedonia, God's relief came to Paul in the form of a person, a fellow worker named Titus. But God, who encourages the downhearted, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. We were encouraged not only by his arrival of Titus, we were encouraged not by his arrival, but also by the encouragement you gave him. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your deep concern for me, so that I rejoiced more than ever. Not only did Titus come, but he receives a message that the Corinthians still have this longing for him, this this desire of relationship with this apostle. One way God comforts his people is by using other Christians. On another occasion, as Paul would write and reflect back on, on a difficult time in his life, a crisis when hardship had threatened his very life. Paul would write in chapter two, chapter one and verse 10, he delivered us from so great a risk of death and he will deliver us. We have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again. God of all comfort. He encourages the downhearted. Easy words to say. But when our lives enter a dark valley, how can we amplify our faith in the midst of the shadows in order to live our faith out loud even during that time? There are some things that we have here in Scripture and we can begin with by placing our hope in God. To know that God can help. He is the creator. And sometimes we need to be reminded of this. Apparently even Paul needed this lesson when he was in Asia. He would write in the first part of 2 Corinthians verses 1, 8 to 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia that we were burdened excessively excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us so that, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He delivered us 
from so great a risk of death, and he will deliver us. We've only introduced the hem of the evidence that God is at work in this world, that he can work in this world and help us in our time of need. In the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus would talk to the crowds and and tell them that they need to turn to God and draw close to him because, because God is accessible, he would tell them, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God makes himself available. But not only do we need to place our hope in God, but also we need to place ourselves close to God. But that can be a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing, a challenge to draw near to God when there is crisis and trouble pressing in. When people view God as being responsible for for all the pain, all the suffering, the natural inclination is to start with the question, why God? Why is this happening? And then there's also, a secondly, an impulse that can be typical. And that might be to take a step further away from God rather than closer. If God is causing me all this pain and suffering, why do I want to draw closer to him? Might be the thinking. And we're reminded of Job. How can we not be reminded of Job and his three friends? as they try to deal with Job's suffering. Job and his three friends are focused on a question. It's a question that haunts humanity around this world to this day. Why? Now the three friends, they think they've got the answer why. And and the answer boils down to a very simple thing. Job... God works in the world in a particular way. You can count on it. And people suffer because they've done something wrong. So Job, simply accept the medicine, stand back up, and head back to God. That's why you're suffering, Job. Job also thinks he has a reason Uh, an understanding of why. He says, the reason I'm suffering is because God is doing this to me. And furthermore, it ain't fair because I don't deserve this. Now what's interesting is that the human beings are all concerned about the why and people have different answers. But you know what? We, the reader, have an advantage because The book of Job pulls back the curtain and we see what's going on behind the scenes. And and we know what, what it is. It's not that God is after Job at all. In fact, God is proud of his man. Is anyone like Job? He's blameless. He's upright. Here is a person who's living the way that a person ought to live before me. He fears God. God's on Job's side. But Satan goes, (laughs) no, 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 no. I understand Job better than you do, God. I know that if this man suffers, you're going to see the real Job come out. He's only serving you because (laughs) there's something in it for him. Take away that, and you'll see the real Job come out. And it's true, God allows Satan to bring wave after wave of disaster. 
But it's not God who's after Job. Throughout the book of Job, God is seeking Job's spiritual maturity. And of course, we can't forget Job's wife. Another human response to suffering. Well, just get mad at God, curse God, and die. But God is not against Job at all, nor is he punishing him. God is on Job's side. And I think that there's something truly amazing about the book of Job that might slip past our attention if we don't look carefully. At the end of the book, God speaks to Job. The whole book of Job, chapter after chapter after chapter, is all about why, 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 why? And everyone arguing their position. And finally God speaks. And God doesn't say a word about why. We, the reader, know why. We know why. Job has gone through all of this. But God doesn't say a word about the why. And as far as we know from the book of Job, Job's going to die with never knowing why all of this happened. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that's not the question we need to be asking. (laughs) Because God's dealing with what's important and what Job needs to know. And it's not why. The question that people need to ask when suffering comes is not why God. The question is what? What am I going to do now? And that's the question in Job. What is Job going to do? How is Job going to live? Is he going to be a faithful person or is he going to be unfaithful? The question is what, not why. And so when we go in and encounter difficulty, we need to draw close to God for his people. And the question is, what are we going to do now? I'm going to draw closer to God. Job's hope was found in God. And our hope is found in God. Second Peter 2, 9, The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. We need to draw close to God. And so as disciples, as we face those, those struggles, those trials, the pain, the suffering, that's exactly the time that we need to draw closer to God in prayer. And just like that widow that Jesus will talk about as a, as a parable in uh, Luke chapter 18, how she prays incessantly to the, to, or she, uh, she goes incessantly to a judge over and over and over seeking help. Jesus uses that as a parable to speak about how God's people need to continually, repeatedly go to their father in prayer because God is better than that judge. And even the judge, even he will finally help the widow. But a third thing we can do is share God's comfort. We are to comfort others with the comfort God has given us. 2 Corinthians again, 1, 3 and following. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all of our troubles so that so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. One way that God works through in this world is through his people. And this is not the sort of gift that anyone wants. I want to really be able to help in the most devastating of circumstances. Sign me up to go through the crucible. So I can help others with the help that God gave me. That's not a prayer you hear. But God, in His wisdom, He comforts His people so that when they've gone through the crucible, when they've gone through the great trials, when they've gone through the worst that life can throw, they can then turn to their brothers and sisters, they can turn to others and say, Let me tell you about our God. Let me tell you about what he can do. Let me give you hope. Let me build you up and encourage you in the way. Because our God is faithful. Has God strengthened and helped you through a difficult time? Do you know what it's like to be in the crushing power of crisis so that panic has surrounded your heart, but God brought you through it? Has, has there ever been a time when, when fear or doubts plagued your every thought about the next step? But you learned to trust in God and you saw how he, how he handled the situation. And God provided comfort where there had been fear. Has God strengthened you to cope with a chronic serious illness? Have you struggled with a self destructive attitude in the past or self-destructive behavior. But God, the one who takes lives and transforms them and the one who brings what is crushed and broken down and can bring life out of it, but God has helped you overcome and is healed and, and now there's scars, but, but now there's wholeness. Then... If any of these things are true or others, then amplify your faith. Turn it up loud. Be real with those around you and pass on the assurance and the hope that you have in our God. The message is not us. The message is our God. And our God is alive and he comforts those so they can be a comfort to others. Praise God for the comfort he has given you and can give to others and pass on the tools and the, and the forms of blessing that God has freely given to you so that you can bless others. <coughs> it has been said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. We can know that God can strengthen his people and help them when fear and trials come. We can know we need to draw closer to God. We can know that we are to comfort one another with the ways that God has blessed us. 
This evening, if someone is needing help, needing prayers, because right now it is a shadow in a valley, if there's any way, if someone needs to respond to the Lord and put on Christ, now's an opportunity while we stand and sing. Lord, for he died my soul to save. On Calvary, his dear life he freely gave.